having an agreement with that seller, we now have an asset that has value. We didn't have to buy that asset. We control that asset. So since we don't actually own that asset, but we control the asset, we have no liability. Perfect. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jamel Gibbs. Welcome to another podcast episode. Listen, this is the Business and Investing Podcast, which covers all things business and investing. And today we have a special guest who was very successful just a few years ago. And then he had a little snafu, which we'll talk about. And in fact, the thumbnail probably gave it away already if you're watching this on YouTube. But listen, because of that little snafu that he had in his life, he's coming back a lot stronger in the real estate investing business. So we're going to talk about how he started off in a real estate investing business, how he became very successful very quickly in the real estate business, and then how he lost everything. We're going to talk about some of the ins and outs of uh, what that was, uh, was all about. And then we're also going to talk about how he's rebuilding his business. So if you're in a situation right now where you were at the top and you lost everything and you're looking to rebuild, this is going to be the podcast for you. If you're in a position right now where you're just getting started and you don't know if you can maneuver all of these, all of these issues that you're going to face, these obstacles that you face as an investor, as a business owner, this is the episode for you. I've personally lived what we're going to talk about today, not in the exact sense, but I've started off in this business with very, li with very little uh, to get started with. I've built up a very successful business very quickly. And then when the market crashed, you know, we're talking back in 2007, 2008, I lost everything. So I had to rebuild myself. So I totally understand where our special guest is coming from. Uh, he, again, he had a lot of success early on. He built up a very successful business. I know this to be a fact because I've known our special guest for quite some time now. And then, uh, unfortunately some things happen in life, which we'll talk about, which caused him to lose pretty much everything. So he had to start all over again and he started rebuilding his business just two months ago. So again, if you're in a situation right now where you don't know, or you're just getting started, or you don't know if you're going to be successful at this, guess what? This is going to be the story that's going to motivate you to get out there and just take action in order to get things done. Because action solves all problems. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it a thousand times more. Action solves all problems. So I want to welcome my special guest, Idris Talib, to the call. And we're going to talk about how he was once successful as an investor and also how he lost everything. And then we're going to talk about how he's rebuilding his empire right now. What's up, man? Man, how you doing? How you doing today? I'm glad to be here. I'm doing great, man. It's been quite some time, man. It's kind of funny. You know, I mentioned it in the opening of the, uh, you know, in the introduction and you know, I, I spoke to you, I want to say back in like 2017 ish, Right. Maybe, yep. maybe that was about the time. Yep. Maybe 2018, I want to say. 
And yep. we were, we were, you know, you were on your way to Raleigh, North Carolina, coming from yep. Atlanta at the time, and you were driving. And, um, you know, after that, I lost communication with you, man. So I was thinking about you, I want to say two weeks ago. And I said, right. let me give Idris a call. And right. to my surprise, man, you had a story to tell. And I actually right. want to share that story today, man. So first off, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the meat of this, uh, this podcast. Okay. Well, I grew up, I grew up in a house where education was everything. My mom has a master's degree and basically followed the good old fashioned advice that everyone hears, make good grades, go to college, get a degree, have a good job, live below your means. And when you're 65, you'll be able to retire and everything will be taken care of. So I followed that path. I mean, I was a straight A student. I went to North Carolina State on an engineering scholarship. And then I actually walked on the basketball team. And when it's, it's when I walked on a basketball team where a uh, frame shift kind of developed for myself. I was like, you know what? I can actually become wealthy. We had a private plane. We we're going all over the world, even at the best restaurants. I was like, man, I like living like this. So I took a personal college. And that finance class totally changed my life. On the last day of the class, the professor said, read books when you leave my class about personal finance if you want to learn how to become wealthy. So I picked up this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm sure many of you have read that book. And that book absolutely changed my life. It was just a paradigm shift for myself. And from then on, I wanted to learn how I could obtain wealth. And then one of the things that Robert Kiyosaki talks about in a lot of his books is real estate investing. So after that, I just became hungry. I read every single person's real estate book. Back then, it was Robert Allen. Uh, back then, it was Russ Whitney. Back then, I even ordered a Carlton Sheets course. I didn't have any money. I was in college. He said, you can get my course for $14.95. If you don't like it, send it back. Um, you get your money back, or you don't have to pay for the rest of it. That's what I did. I, I took his course. I copied everything, sent it right back to him. So I was hungry to learn about real estate. So throughout that time, when I was leaving college, I left when a tech bubble burst. So I actually had a job opportunity to do technical sales with AT&T in Atlanta for the tech bubble burst. And I got into financial services. And there, you know, that was a sales position. So I was making a substantial amount of money. You know, my first year as an intern, I worked about 15 hours a week. I was around $98,000. I was like, oh my God, this is a lot of money. So when I got out, I said, you know what? I'm going to pursue financial services full time. And all throughout the while, you know, I was doing, I was dibbling and dabbling in real estate but I didn't really get my breakthrough until my father sent me a course. He sent me a course that was about how to do real estate with lease options. And once I learned about lease options, it allowed me to be able to be a middleman between someone who was a motivated seller and then a tenant buyer. And by constructing the deals and putting them together, I was able to make money. And once I got my first check after that, I just, I just went crazy with it. And that's all I really uh, had a focus on doing lease options. And eventually I got into some owner financing and subject to investing. And that's really how my whole real estate career started. Got it, man. So since you started, how many houses would you say you've bought over the years? Ooh, so now the first house is back in 2003. I've easily done close to three, 400 houses over um, just transactions over because that's that was about 18 years ago. So I, I, I've done I've done quite a few. But one thing to keep in mind, I never actually did real estate full time, though. A lot of this was on a part time basis. 
Um, I was a serial entrepreneur. So once I left finance, that's I own restaurants. I've had a tax business. I even had a hair extension business. And then the, the big business that I had, I own a healthcare company. So you had multiple companies and you were able to at least do 400 real estate transactions within that 18 year time frame, part time, right? Correct. Correct. So, that, so that's a testament to how easy this business, how easy it can be to really make money in this business. I'm, I'm not saying that the business is easy at all because it's a hard business to be in. Any right. business is hard to be in uh, because you have to put the, the entire weight of the business on your back and carry it with you. But once you get that train rolling and you understand exactly how this thing works, it becomes easier over time. Would you agree? Right. Yes, that, that, that's absolutely true. And as a matter of fact, I built up such a reputation Deals are actually just coming to me because a lot of people, they don't know how to structure deals in which um, you can't buy 70 cents on a dollar. You know, most people, you know, most people is buy low, sell high. But what happens when there's a mortgage on that property and you can't get that 30, 20, 15 percent margin that you're looking for as maybe a wholesaler or a rehabber, then you may have to use some type of a creative strategy. And I built such a market for myself. People were just sending me deals left and right. So that's how I was able to do it. So a lot of these deals that I talk about, they were joint ventures with other individuals. Got you. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit, man. So a couple of years ago, you're at the height of your real estate success. You have home study courses out. You have a program coaching students. Uh, you're doing really well in a real estate business, uh, buying a lot of houses. And then what happened? So what happened was throughout this whole time, we've all heard we need multiple streams of income. Well, with me, I was chasing every single thing there was to make money. And my big money maker, like I said, was a healthcare business. I had a physician group, I had a couple of urgent cares, and I had a mental health agency. I had offices in Raleigh, Charlotte, Greenville, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Williamson, South Carolina, and I had two offices in Atlanta. I mean, this was a multi-million dollar operation. We had about 300 employees at one time. I had physicians, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. I had therapists, paraprofessionals. So I had a full, we, we provide a full array of benefits um, to this um, clientele that we were servicing. Now, one of the things that I had done was I took my finance background. And then when I used to own a franchise, which was a Quiznos, so I took my finance background, I took the systems for a franchise, and I applied it to healthcare, which had real high margins. So that's how we were able to grow so fast. But I set up a culture in which it was all about making a lot of money. I used to tell my staff, I said, look, I want you to see the patients, write a note, collect a check. It's basically that simple. So then we had some Medicaid fraud that came in. So we used to build different insurance panels, and Medicaid is a federally uh, subsidized uh, type of insurance for low-income individuals that's delegated down to the state. So we we're billing them, and it, it just so happened we we're billing on patients that we weren't seeing. So I tell people, you know, when you're business, you have to be fully accountable. I didn't directly know it was going on, but at the same time, I was held accountable because I was the owner of the business. Right. So, so let's pause there for a second, just to be clear. So you basically took the weight of that business and put it on your shoulders took all of the blame because you're the owner of the business. The captain goes down with the ship, right? And that's basically how that happened. 
Yes, in my contract that I signed, it explicitly says you are 100% responsible for every single thing that goes on in your business. That's why I couldn't fight the case. You know, I talked to my attorney, we're talking about, you know, uh, during the trial, but it was explicitly right there in black and white that you have the burden of anything that happens in your business, you're responsible for. So it was going to be a losing case. So what happened is we had a plea bargain. And my plea bargain was they gave me six months to pay back $400,000. Wow, but I had man. to shut down my business. Okay. So you shut down your business. You had to pay the $400,000. And ultimately, you had to go to prison. How long were you locked up for? All right. So I got sentenced to five years. I only ended up doing, I only did two years on that five-year sentence. Um, I was nonviolent. I had good behavior. And then I got out six months early as well. Gotcha, man. So, so you really two years out of the five. So you did what was it about 18 months then? No, I did exactly 24 did exa months. So I did okay. I did 40% of the time. Okay, got it. So you did exactly two 24 months, exactly two years, and you got out. So again, you know, just to be clear with everybody that's listening to our podcast today, Idris was very successful before he went in, multi-million dollar businesses. Um and when you're running businesses like that, if you don't have your eye over everything, you know, things can happen. Unbeknownst to him, there was someone in his one of his offices committing some fraud. He didn't know. And he took the blame for it. Uh, he, he was 100 percent responsible for it. So first of all, I got to applaud you for that, uh, for taking that blame uh, and, and going down with the ship, even though, you know, this could have this could have been put on someone else. But because you're the owner of the business. Unfortunately, you're responsible at that Correct. time, right? Correct. Correct. Right. So, so then he went to prison for two years. And how long have you been out at this point, man? I've been out. I got out October third. I got out October thirtieth. Today is January twenty second. Got it, man. So just what two months? Two two yep. two and a half months. Yep. Right. So since then, you know, let's just transition a little bit into what you're doing right now, man. Since then, what were you able to accomplish coming, coming out of prison? So this is actually funny. I actually did a couple of deals in prison. <laughs> While I was in, I, I didn't do them for myself, but I did them for others. So when I was in prison, uh, everyone in prison has nicknames. My nickname was a pretty house guy. I actually taught <laughs> classes when I was in prison. I actually taught a, a Christian business class and real estate investing was real big. Because what I told the guys there is, I said, look, I'm going to teach you how you can actually make money without needing any money and without having any credit. And I knew that's what I was faced with as well, because I lost absolutely everything financially. And then I know my credit was shot because I haven't paid on anything in two years. So coming out, I was I was focused. I knew exactly what I was going to do the day that I got out. So the first thing that I did when I got out, I'm telling you, I'm talking about within hours of getting the first thing I did was, and this is why I tell you, this is the only thing that you need to get started in this business. I went and got this, uh, I went and got this phone. This is one of these cheap little Samsung phones from um, Walmart. And I knew by me having a phone, I could be in business because I can get online. And you know what's so funny, man? You still have the same phone number from a couple years ago, man. That's how I was able to get in contact with you. That's right. that's crazy. How, how did you do that? Right. Well, I, uh, I guess no one had taken the number and then uh, I had actually gone online and I found it. I always memorized my phone number and I said, is it available? And they said, yes. And I, I added it to my phone. 
Gotcha. So that was, um, yeah, that, that was something that worked out well for me. But, um, you know, when I got out, let's see, I made a lot of friends when I was in prison. I made friends with the administrative staff. I made friends with correction officers. I made friends with a couple of other guys I was incarcerated with. And I had a guy who, um, I mean, <laughs> he gave me a car to, like the day out, I had a car, I had a place to stay. I had, I mean, I had, I had, I had a couple of resources, but nothing substantial. But gotcha. um, the condition was, was that we were, I was going to teach him the business. So I was at his house till 11 o'clock at night and we were pulling up phone numbers for sale by owners. I put him into a, I knew, uh, you know, the Google platform is free. So I put together a Google spreadsheet and I put all these phone numbers up there. And then the next day I started making calls. And then from those calls, it led to appointments. And that's what led to contracts. Gotcha, man. We're going to talk about this step-by-step process in more detail. So if, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you just came home from prison, right? A lot of people who come home from prison are hopeless, you know, right. because they don't know what they want to do, Correct. right? If you don't have a plan, then you're not going to be able to accomplish anything uh, financially. So the best part is to have a plan. The best thing you could do coming out of prison is to have a plan. Know what you want. It just said, look, he had a plan. Now, thankfully for you, you had education and experience right. and successful businesses before you actually went in. What do, what do you say to people who just came home that don't have that experience? They don't and they don't have that plan. They don't know what they want to do at this point. Right. What, what do you say to that type of person? So this is something that I used to say. I used to always say in prison. The first thing that they always say in prison is don't go back into your environment that you came out of. The only flaw with that is, is sometimes you may have family or children that depend on you that is directly into that environment. So what I tell people is, even if you have to go back into that environment, you just living in that environment, but you have to start surrounding yourself by success-minded people. It's really like we always know, your net work is your net worth. So you have to develop a new network and you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. Now, I don't tell anyone, especially if you have a wife or kids, depending on you, just go out and do this full time. But what I say is, you know, work your, you know, find a job, find some stability. But when you are not working, you don't, ha you have not earned the right to watch TV or to do all these extracurricular activities. That's when it's time to kind of mind your business, find a mentor to work with, and then start minding your business. Start developing the skills and start taking action. That's the most important thing. Like you said earlier in your introduction, you have to take action. And if you follow some of the methodologies and steps that you, I, and other guests that you have, you don't have much risk because you're not going to be leveraging any money. You're not going to be leveraging your credit. Man, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was, um, there's, a, there's a place out here in Greensboro called Dame's Chicken and Waffles. I'm not sure if you ever heard of them or not, but they're in Raleigh as well. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a guy who just came home and he was in a, uh, I guess he was in a halfway, no, he was in a shelter. It wasn't a halfway house. Okay. It was a shelter. And he said, the only thing that they provide him with was the bed and, uh, you know, basically a place to sleep and some shelter. Right. So he was out there hustling or trying to, he, he was an artist, okay. amazing artist, man. I mean, drawings, like the stuff he was drawing. I mean, it was, it was amazing, man. But the reason I'm saying that is he was out there trying to sell his drawings 
for for cash where he can go out and buy uh you know stuff for hygiene toothpaste right. and stuff like that right so again he had a plan that was the point so he said okay i'm in this homeless shelter for two more months mm -hmm. let me try to figure out how i could bring in some income here's some skills that i have right. to generate some income and then from there i could continue to build right, right? so you had a plan as well right. so for, for again for talking to the people who just came home you have a plan. If you don't know right. what your plan is, just think about what you want your life to look like in five years. There you, right? Yeah. Then backtrack off of that goal. Set yeah. a five-year goal for yourself. Then set annual goals yep. every year. Then set monthly goals, uh, quarterly yep. goals, then monthly goals, then daily goals. Yep. Weekly goals, daily goals, right? The whole point is you got to do something every day to go That's towards right. the big picture. The big picture is that right. five-year plan, That's right. right? So have a plan for yourself. What do you want your life to look like? Once you understand that, then you just got to take action. And we've been talking about that throughout this, this, uh, this podcast episode, right? You, you know what? I'm going to, oh, I was going to, I'm, I'm going to give anybody listening a way to make some quick cash. I'm talking about this week. All right. So one of the things that I did when I immediately got out of, when I immediately got out of prison, is uh, I was trying to, okay, how can I come up with just some quick cash? So the thing is, I know around most times there's bandit signs everywhere. So what I did was I called up the bandit signs and I asked, who puts out your bandit signs? And then I said, look, I'll be willing to put out your bandit signs. I just need $25 gas money and a dollar per sign. Because most individuals who are incarcerated getting out of prison, they're going to be working, um, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with, with a, uh, you know, a blue-collar job, but they're probably going to be making between $10 and $15 an hour. Well, I know I can put out between 50 and 100 signs in an hour. So now I'm able to get cash. I call it cash in a flash, and I'm still doing some of the business. And the ironic thing about it was I ended up teaming up with a realtor, and a realtor has six other sub-agents who works up mm. under them and everything. So now I'm working with a realtor. He's able to have access. He gives me access to all of his expired listings. And then I have a team of agents who can actually, who have buyers for when I find deals for these. So I was able to strategically make money up front. And then actually uh, I was able to develop my network as well. That's right, man. Because again, you what you did, we, you chose something that was specifically related to real estate, putting out right. bandit signs. It gives you the experience on how to put out the signs to get the phone calls. And you were getting paid by someone else to be able to do that. How do you, what, what would you say to the person who doesn't have a vehicle though? Ah, I got a little, I have an answer for that as well. <laughs> I used to teach this in my business class. Everything's about margins. So here's the thing. What I would do is I would partner up with somebody who's an Uber driver. Mm. I'll just find somebody. Um, I'll just find somebody who's an Uber driver, and then you know, just let them know what you're doing. Say, look, um, you know, when, when you're not doing Uber and everything, I have a way into where we can make a good amount of money pretty fast. You know, you may give them the twenty-five dollars up front, and then what you may want to do is, uh, you know, you'll do these fifty signs. I'll do these fifty signs. Just you just gotta as an entrepreneur, you have to figure stuff out. The, right. the, the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur, I can't give you. Uh, a, a top 10 checklist and I guarantee you success. Some things may work. Some things may not work. We all have different skills and talents and resources.
But the thing is, like you said, you have to be hungry. You have to take action. You just gotta, you just have to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. Be creative. You never know what you're able to do. That's right, man. You took the words right out of my mouth, matter of fact, man. You know, be creative. And by you thinking creatively, it helps you in your real estate business as well. What I want to do is get into a step-by-step game plan on how someone can go from where they are right now to get in their first pretty house, man. When we're talking first, let's talk about what pretty houses are. And again, this is for the people who don't have a plan, just getting out or you're just getting started and you don't know what you want out of the business, right? Right. Let's talk to those people. Okay. Step by step, A to Z, soup the nuts game plan on how to get started from where they are right now to getting their first deal done. First off, what are pretty houses? All right. So pretty houses, it's just a term for a nice house in a nice neighborhood that does not need any rehab. Or if it is any type of rehab, it's just purely cosmetic. It may be carpet, maybe a little bit of paint, maybe some landscape. It's nothing structural. We're not talking about plumbing. We're not talking about electrical. We're not talking about um, the foundation. We're not talking about any of that whatsoever. Uh, okay, so that's what I'll consider a pretty house. And depending on where you are in the country, the price points vary. Um, we're down south. I do houses 200, 250,000. So, how old are these houses usually? Now, for me, the houses, it, it, it could be any age. The house, the house could be any age. Obviously, the newer the house is, the less wear and tear it's going to be on it. However, to me, it, um, I don't really look at I don't really look at the age of it. But what I do look at is I look at school districts. Got you. Um, so most school districts may be ranked anywhere between a zero and a ten. I look for anything five, six, or above because the thing I know, and let's just break down the psychology of this. The reason why my price point is two hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand and above. It's because most individuals looking at a house in that price range, they make somewhere near six figures, okay? I know I want to make at least $5,000. I really want to make $10,000, but bare minimum, I want to make $5,000 on each transaction. Someone who has an income of around $100,000, it's easier for them to be able to pay five dollars or $10,000 than it is someone who makes thirty dollars or $40,000. Now, right. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with someone who makes thirty dollars or $40,000. I'm just saying financially, it's going to be more difficult for them to be able to save five or ten thousand as compared to someone who may make close to a hundred thousand dollars. Got it, man. So what type of properties are you looking for when you're looking for these types of houses? In the, in the very beginning, if I was telling somebody who's just getting started, I would say do your bread and butter properties. So these are properties, three bedrooms, one and a half or two bathrooms, up to about maybe five bedrooms, maybe three bathrooms. I would stay within that range because that's where most people look for houses. Really, that three to three to four bedroom range, as long as it's two or more bathrooms. Uh, if, if it's in a good school district, you're, you're going to have something right there. Yeah, and notice you said school district and bread and butter properties. These are the the bread and butter properties are the ones that's going to sell to the families. The families right. are looking for the ones uh, they're looking for the properties in the good school districts. So yeah. it all makes sense, right? So you, you know what you're targeting at this point. Right. Uh, you know what type of house to look for. How yeah. do you start contacting these sellers, man? All right. So the next thing that I do is I don't go out. I don't buy lists. I'm not driving for dollars. What I do is the first place I do, I go online. So let's just think about it. 90% of all decisions that people make are done online. They search for stuff online. So what I do is I'll pull up for sale by owner, 
or I'll do the rent my owner ads. You got Craigslist, you have Zillow, you have Trulia, you have Facebook Marketplace, and then there's a um, there's a lot of ancillary sites like that. So I want I want to talk about the psychology of why I do that. So let's just think about it. Let's just say that I'm looking to sell my house. Okay. I go to one of these sites, I have to register. So I have to put in my email. They're going to send me some type of confirmation. I confirm that it's myself. I'm going to take pictures of my house. All right. I'm going to write a description of my house. I'm going to put my phone number or my email address in that ad. If I put my phone number and if I put my email in that ad, what do I want you to do? I want you to contact me. This is not a cold call. These people have explicitly put their phone numbers and email addresses so they can be contacted about their house. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call them up and say, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Such and Such. I saw your house on Craigslist at 123 Main Street. Is it still available? They're going to say yes or no. They say yes. Oh, great. Can you tell me a little bit about your house? And then, oh, three barrels, two baths, this and this. I have a deck, it's yada, yada, yada. Wow, this sounds like a wonderful house. Why are you considered selling it? That's my, that's my money question. Why are you considered selling such a beautiful home? And now, did you hear how I did a voice inflection? Wow, this sounds like a wonderful home. Why are you considered selling it? So basically, I'm saying, I, I, I'm curious. I'm not probing, but I'm curious. Oh, well, you know, I got a job transfer to Sacramento and everything, and uh, we're going to need to be leaving in about three weeks. Oh, okay. So that's kind of the flow of the conversation of, of how I will begin. Got you, man. So you contact the sellers. You gain some basic information on the property. Now, how do you lead them into the type of offer that you want to make them? Right. So uh, what I do before I do that, I want to figure out kind of what is their situation. Um so basically, I have seven things that I look for that I, um, I want to hear from them. So basically, is it a job transfer? Is it maybe a job loss or bankruptcy? Is it maybe they're going through a divorce? Maybe they've inherited a property. Maybe uh, they're a frustrated landlord. Maybe they're looking to downsize or maybe they're looking to upgrade their house. I'm, I'm listening for those when I ask them in terms of, you know, why are you looking to sell your house? And then after I ask that, I want to know about a time. Do they have a time frame in which they have to have their house sold by? So, for example, they have a job transfer. That job is going to be starting at some particular moment in time. So I know the shorter amount of time they have to sell it, the more open they are to a creative deal. So to somebody who's just beginning, what I always advise my students, I said, look, let's get some base hits. I don't want you trying to negotiate too much over the phone. I want you to get comfortable with talking to people and getting to see them face to face. Now, it just depends because COVID has kind of changed things. A lot of us are doing things virtual. But in the beginning, if you can, I would say try to go see the person. And basically, my criteria is see if the house is vacant. If the house is vacant, you go, you set that appointment. Don't even worry about the mortgage. If that house is vacant, go set the appointment because if there's a mortgage on that house, even if they can afford it, no one wants to pay a mortgage on an empty house because that means they have another rent payment somewhere else unless they find a house that's free and clear that they can live in for free. So you're looking for vacant properties with mortgages on them. And obviously it doesn't matter what the, what the age of the property is or anything like that. If you can help the seller get out of that situation, then chances are you're going to be able to create some type of a creative deal, right? 
Yes. So when, when we talk about creative deals, we're talking about lease options, owner financing. We're talking about subject twos and wraps and things like that. Correct. What's your favorite exit strategy? Your favorite type of deal to structure when you're talking to the sellers? My personal favorite is owner financing. However, that's not what I, uh, that's not what I advise people to start off with. I advise them to start off with lease options because it's so simple. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I personally, I do like the owner financing because you can, <laughs> you can yeah. pay down that principal and <laughs> that's a way of creating a large spread. Basically, you become a bank. Absolutely, that's man. Favorite, that's my favorite exit strategy. Uh, I like all of them, man, to be honest. My, my two favorites are owner, well, three. I have, I like sub twos. Well, I like yeah. all of them. I like all of them, man. Uh, I do a lot of lease option owner financing and I do a lot of subject twos as well. Uh, raps aren't really common. In North Carolina, uh, but they do exist. Uh, but in other states, you know, we could we end up doing that as well. Right. Uh, but but moving 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 on, man. So you have a property at this point. What's the next thing you're gonna do after you sign the agreement with the seller? You get the the, the seller. You know what? Let's take a step back for a second. How do you get the seller to accept this type of offer? Like, right. what are, what are you saying to the seller? So the first thing that I do is I'll get to the house. I'll say, okay, can you show me around the house? I'll build rapport with them and everything. And then what I want to do is I want to see if I can eliminate the options that they have in their head in terms of what they're able to do with this house. So I'll probably open it up with, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, how long have you been trying to sell your house? And then they may say, oh, we've been trying to sell it for about uh, two months. Wow, okay. Um, I'm just curious, why didn't you accept any of the written offers that you got? So basically, I'm kind of baiting them a little bit because I want them to, I want them to articulate to me the kind of the struggle that they've been going through to be able to sell their house on their own. And the thing that I know is there's only five things you can do with a house. You can either sell it yourself, you can list it with a realtor, you can rent it out, you can rent it with a management company, or if you can't afford the payments, give it back to the bank. So these are the type of conversations I want to have. So I want them, I don't, I don't say, well, um, are you going to do this? I want them to eliminate all the options that they have. So I'll just kind of ask myself, okay, uh, so, so has it been going well? Well, no, we haven't been having a lot of people come in. Uh, okay, um, I'm just curious, you know, this is a beautiful house. Uh, why didn't you listen with a realtor? Oh, well, you know, we don't have much equity in the house and we can't afford to write a check. The ten thousand dollars. Okay, okay, I can I can see how that um, can be a problem. Um, you ever thought about just being a landlord and renting out? You know, collecting rents and everything. No, no, no. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So, so you see what I'm doing? I'm 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 I'm, I'm just feeding some situations, and then they're telling me why they don't want to do it. Right. And right. then so, I'll say, um, so this is my money question. So, um, you know, you don't want to listen with a realtor and you don't want to rent it out. Um, what are your options if you're not able to sell this house? What are you going to do? And then I'll just pause and just stare at them. What are you going to do? I know I have them when they don't answer that question. So I don't know. And then now what I'll try to do is, um, and this is what I got, you know, we talked about this earlier from, um, I, I still use this to this day. It's been over 17 years. Peter Conte and David Finkel, I got this like these um, language patterns from them. Uh, I still use it to this day. Um, you know, Jamal, I don't know if this will work for you, but may, what if there was a way into where uh, 
we can make your payments every single month. And uh, I don't know, depending on how long of the term, I can still give you that $300,000 you're looking for your house. Is that something that might work for you or it's, it probably won't work at all? For you? One of my favorite approaches as well, man. I actually, I actually know Peter. Peter. I actually have him in my cell phone. I spoke to him a couple months ago. We were supposed to be doing some things together, man. But okay, tell me you got a fan of his. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I definitely have to catch up with him, man. Good guy. Right. So you use his approach pretty much, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a very. Uh, I don't go in with the take it or leave it type of approach. You know, I'm here basically. I view myself as a problem solver. Got you. You know, your Actually, house is a problem. And for most people, their house is the largest asset. And that mortgage payment is their largest expense for most people. So I'm here to try to alleviate the stress and the pain that you're going through with that asset and trying to figure out a win-win way in which we can solve a problem I can, and I can make a profit as well. Got it, man. So you're creating win-win situations, which is what real estate investing is all about at the end of the yes. day. Absolutely. So now, you know, I was kind of getting ahead of myself a little while ago with this. At this point, you now have a contract with the seller. Right. What are some of your exit strategies that that you like to implement at this point? All right. So my exit strategy, if I have it under a lease option, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for someone who is a tenant buyer. And basically what a tenant buyer is, it's an individual. They are they're not able to qualify for financing. However, they can afford to pay the monthly payments uh, for that house. So that, those are the people I'm looking for. And since, you know, we're talking about 250, 300, four, $500,000 houses, some of these individuals are paying 2000 dollars $3,000 a month in rent. They have absolutely nothing to show for it whatsoever. And they've been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. You know, 3000 three times 12, that's $36,000. After three years, you paid over $108,000 in rent. So these are the type of individuals who will be motivated to move into a house on a rent-to-own basis. And then what I like to do to attract these people, I use a money ad that I'm going to give y'all this. I'm going to give y'all this headline. This is my money ad right here. It's good credit, bad credit, or no credit at all. Rent-to-own your home in this award-winning school district. Oh, man. I would get flooded with phone calls and emails from that ad. I would get flooded with them. I'll, uh, I'll go out and I'll, uh, I'll take, you know, a picture of the house. I'll post that up there and I would get absolutely flooded. I, I don't do a lot of bandit signs. I know a lot of people, some people, they will do like rent on bandit signs. That'll probably be a good bandit sign to put out as well uh, in the area. Absolutely, man. And how do you collect your down payment from, from these people once you find that tenant buyer? Okay. So what I have, I actually have a website that they can go to, but let's just say you have no budget whatsoever. So on the phone call, when they call and ask about the house, I'll tell them. So what I tell them is I have a rental home program. So let me explain the program to you and I'll answer any questions or concerns that you may have. And basically what we do is we work with individuals who would love to be able to uh, own their home. However, they're not able to qualify for financing. So basically, um, we give you an opportunity to where you can make payments every single month, and then we'll send you somewhere to where you can get your credit repaired if that's what you need, and then uh, have you able to qualify for financing. So let me tell you what some of the stipulations are for our program. Now, one of the stipulations are we do require an option fee. 
So I will tell you that option fee, it goes towards the uh, payment of the house. However, if you do not decide to exercise that option, it is non-refundable. I want you to know that up front. Are you okay with that? And I make sure that they know that that is a non-refundable. It's not an option deposit. It is an option fee. A deposit means after you fulfill all the obligations of the agreement, you give that money back. It is not a deposit. So I let them know that up front. And then, uh, you know, I'll, from a lot of them, I'll, I'll get an indication of, uh, so how much money do you have that you're able to put down in this house? And then I'll just find out what they have and I'll determine based off the price of the house if that's something that I may be interested in. You know, one of my favorite approaches is to never mention a price or a down payment to them. Um, what I do is I find out how much they have and then whoever has the most amount, that's the person who's moving in. That's, 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 generally, that's generally what I do. That's, that's, um, I'll say 90% of the time, whoever has the most, that's what I do. And one of the things that I do is um, I'll have them go to, uh, I have them go to My Smart Move. Are you familiar with My Smart Move? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, what I'll do is I'll have them go to My Smart Move. What I, and I tell them, here's another thing that I tell them. I said, now look, we do run a credit check. However, your credit will not disqualify you from being eligible for our program. And the reason why we check your credit is because I need to have a realistic time frame of how long it's going to take for you to qualify for finance, for example. If you have a couple of late pays on your credit report, I know that within six to nine months, I can get you in a position where you can qualify for financing. However, if you may have had some bankruptcies, foreclosures, things of that nature, we may be looking at one or two or three years. And that's the reason why we um, check your credit. And then also, so we do a credit check, we do a background check, and then we do a, a maintenance law check, make sure they're not on the um, sexual predator registry or whatever. Right. So, uh, and they can do all that through my smart move. And what I do is they pay for that. So that's, uh, I want to say it's like $39.95 or something yeah, like that. about 40 like bucks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. So you move somebody in and the beautiful part about this type of transaction is you get some money up front through your option fee. You get some money every month through yes. passive, cash flowing income. And yes. then you get to make money on the back end. When you you're on the back end. It is. I mean, it, it, it is beautiful. And one of the things, if you've ever read Rich Dad's Guide to uh, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, one of the things that Robert Kiyosaki talks about is that um, the wealthy actually, you know, of course they buy assets, but a lot of them create assets. So I want us to really think about ourselves from that perspective. We are creating an asset with these contracts that we're doing. We create an asset out of thin air. That's right. By having an agreement. With that seller, we now have an asset that has value. We didn't have to buy that asset. We control that asset. So since we don't actually own that asset, but we control the asset, we have no liability. And guess what, man? You get in literally with no money, no credit. You don't need, a, you don't need money to do this. You can go to Zillow to find these houses. So you don't need a marketing budget. You can go to Craigslist to find these yep. houses forsalebyowner.com to find these houses, right? right? You don't need more than $10 to put down as an earnest money right. deposit on a property. And you can get that back when you collect your earnest money deposit, uh, when you collect your uh, option fee from That's your right. tenant buyer. So you really, you're into these deals with no money out of pocket. It's a fantastic business model. I it love is. the business model. I've been doing it for years myself. 
in addition to wholesaling, right? Right. And obviously you're doing it. You've been doing it for a very long time. And this is what's working for you right now. Just been right. home for two months and you're already crushing it, building your business yes. and your life I back mean, up, man. It's amazing. I'm going to, since it's YouTube, man, I'm about to give it, I, I don't usually uh, disclose this people. I'm going to tell y'all, this is how you avoid people say, well, I'm going to need you to put 10% down or 20% down. This is how I get away from no down payments whatsoever, earnest money deposits. This is what you tell them. All right. <laughs> oh, this is some good stuff. All right. So what you tell them is, you'll say, now, look, Mr. or Mrs. Um, seller, I understand that, um, you, you know, you want to make sure that I'm serious about this. However, I'm not going to be living in this house. As a matter of fact, why don't we do this? You and I are going to have a non-exclusive agreement. So basically what a non-exclusive agreement means is we're not taking your house off the market, but you and I, we have to have a signed agreement. I'm not a licensed realtor. Therefore, I cannot solicit any houses that I do not own or have equitable interest in. By us having a signed agreement, this is conveying that I have equitable interest in your property so I can market my interest in the contract to other individuals. Now, this is a win for you as well because it's non-exclusive. So what that means is you can continue to market the property while I'm marketing the property. The only thing I ask is if you bring somebody to the table before I do, just Anything in writing, whether it's a text message, whether it's an email or whatever, letting me know that you found someone and I will release myself from our agreement and it will be explicitly written in our agreement, the things that I'm telling you. So therefore, that's why I don't give earnest money deposits. And right. then it's kind of like the best of both worlds. Now, Mr. Seller, if I do bring somebody to the table before you do, great, you sell your house. If you bring somebody to the table before I do, great, you sell your house. But either way, you pay me zero fees, zero commissions whatsoever. The only way I make money is if I bring somebody to the table to be able to close this deal. Solid, man. And, you know, just, just so you guys know, you know, I was a real estate broker in New York City in Brooklyn. Uh, there's two different types of agreements. You have an open listing when you're listing someone's house and you have an exclusive listing, right? So what Idris is talking about is the non-exclusive agreement. The same thing as an open listing where you're not exclusively working with the seller. If you give them an open, if they provide you with an open listing, they can still sell their house and not pay you a commission, right? And we're talking in real estate agent and broker terms. The same thing applies with what's called a flex option in real estate where you can wholesale somebody's house without actually having a, a, a contract with the seller is more of an open listing agreement. Same thing with this uh, with this uh, structure that Idris was just talking about. So solid, solid way to get started in real estate uh, with no money out of pocket and to be able to control, have an equitable interest in that property that you're looking at without coming out of your pocket with this uh, uh, with any money whatsoever. Hey man, this has been a fantastic call, man. Uh, a lot of value. You know, we talked about your journey, you know, your ups. We talked about your downs, man, and how you're rebuilding your business at this point. Obviously, we can't cover your entire life story and what you plan on doing, right. you know, moving forward. I think we've provided the audience with enough information to really go out there and get started uh, in getting their pretty house business or any type of real estate investment business off right. the ground, man. 
So if our listeners wanted to, to find out more information from you, where should they go? You know what? You can find me on social media. You can look at the Pretty House Guy, Facebook, Instagram, or uh, one of the things that I'm um, doing as well is, you know, I'll book a 15-minute consultation with anyone. You can just go to www.prettyhouseguy.com, and then you can schedule a 15-minute um, consultation. We'll have a conversation in terms of, you know, what are some of your goals? Maybe there's some questions that you need answered. And then we'll figure out, you know, if we could, you know, if it makes sense for us to work together. But nonetheless, I'll leave that. You know, this is a free 15-minute consultation. Just go to www.prettyhouseguy.com. Sounds good, man. Now, obviously, you had a lot of time to pick up on some reading, man. What was your favorite books while you were in prison, man? Um, some of my favorite books were, um, you know, I, you know, I went back to a lot of the classics that I haven't read in a long time. Uh, my favorite book is actually Psycho-Cybernetics. That's more just on the mindset, um, you know, Think and Grow Rich, uh, some real estate books. I read, let's see, I read, I always, it's, the, it's oh, let me find it, give me one second. I'm going to find this. I'm going to give y'all the exact title of the book that I read. So you definitely have some classics there. You have, you know, uh, you have Think and Grow Rich. You had a couple other books as well, man. You said Psycho yeah. Cyber... What was it? Psycho, psycho cybernetics. Cybernetics. I never heard of that one, man. I gotta, I gotta look into that one myself. That, that book is a that book is a winner right there. Uh, let me see. I'm gonna look up this book for y'all. What were some of your favorites before you actually went in as well? Some of my favorites. So, oh, here it is, right here. Making big money investing in real estate without tenants, banks, or rehab projects. That's, um, it, that's the book that you read while you were in there. I read that while I was in there. That's actually the first book that I read on lease options. Got you, man. What I'm going to do is link all of those books that you mentioned in the description box for our listeners to check it out as well, man. Um, now, quick question for you, man. Okay. What are some of the obstacles that investors might face getting into business? I would say, you know what, right now, I would say the largest obstacle that investors face just starting off right now is right now we're at a time where there's actually too much information rather than not enough information. So we can get information overload. Some people are telling you to do this. Some people are saying do that. Some people are saying this. What I would say do is find somebody who has success in the business and follow that person and have some success with that before you start branching off and do too many different things. Because you can end up getting stretched in too many different directions. And you're not going to have success with anything whatsoever. You know, one of the things that I always tell people is when I start working with them, my first goal is for you to get a check as fast as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. Because we all know money can be made in real estate, but can you make money in real estate? And there's so many different avenues that you can do. And I'm going to tell you one thing. They all work. Driving for dollars works. Bandit signs work. Facebook ads work. Pay-per-click works, lease option works, wholesaler works, rehab, everything works, but you need to find, just find one thing that you can kind of have success with. And then once you have some success with it, you can streamline, systematize it, and then you can start going into some of these other avenues. Um, another thing that I would say another obstacle can be is it's not, it's really not being around the right people because mindset is everything. You really have to be around a team of individuals who are serious about business and who are executing and taking action every single day. 
and also have uh, have an accountability partner as well. And even if it's not someone, you know, maybe you're in a rural area, there's not a lot of people who are doing it. Y'all, we have the World Wide Web now. You know, we can always find somebody online who we can partner with, just kind of to bounce some things through. You know, one of your good buddies, uh, me and uh, Ray Mabry, we talk at least two, three times a week. I mean, that's, that's uh, I, I'm telling y'all, look, I don't know what's going on in uh, North Carolina, but <laughs> y'all killing it. You, Ray, Max, uh, NASA, I mean, y'all are killing it. North Carolina got something special going on. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of us out here doing well, man, and, and especially in this market, man. So listen, man, this has been a, a, a solid, solid, very, very good call, man, for anybody listening, whether you're, you know, you're trying to get out of a situation or if you're just getting started and you want to, you, you don't have a plan, you want to know which way to go. You know, one thing I want, I want to mention is, you know, all of us make mistakes. Some of us, we get caught up. And some of us don't, right? Idris, I got to, you know, I respect the fact that you owned, you know, the mistake that somebody else made in your business, man. And, you know, when you were at the peak of your career, uh, you know, you lost everything. But while you were in there, you were still teaching people right. how to become financially free, even in prison. Right. And then you come home, man, and you're taking massive action. So I love that, man. I love the story. You know, I, I know that, you know, there's going to be some negative press out there on you because of the situation. But if people can see past that, right. and see that you owned the situation, right. they'll see that they could gain a lot of value from you at the end of the day, man. So I appreciate you jumping on today's call, man. Any last words for our listeners at all? These are the last words that I would just say is, just develop a strong belief in yourself. And the way that that belief is going to manifest itself is by you taking massive action. Just take action. Just take action. And here's another thing. Just go for no. You're going to make mistakes. You might just say, you will make mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes. Try to get as many mistakes out the way as fast as humanly possible and work with somebody who has some success who can kind of mentor you as well. And if you do those things, you will be successful. We don't know exactly when, but the faster you get started, the faster you'll have those results, you'll have that success for yourself. Absolutely, man. It's called Failing Forward. And in fact, that's a book that I'm going to link in the description box right. as well. Right. Idris, man, real pleasure having you. Pleasure having you guys listening on us. Let us know in the comment section if you're watching this video on YouTube. Let us know what you thought about this episode. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, be sure to watch us face-to-face -face on YouTube so you can get the, the facial expressions and a genuine feel of this particular podcast. It's been a real pleasure having you guys listening, and I'll talk to you on the next one. Peace. Peace. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash jamelgibbs. I'm all over the web, whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at jamelgibbs. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. 
check out all of these platforms for daily content weekly content more content from jamel gibbs but if you want to get more in depth go to rei education academy Com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.